0: So the headline or the title is simply today the doctrine of the one God. And as I said earlier, when I travel, I realize that people are not so much concerned about what apostolic people are concerned about. The majority of the Christian world believes in the doctrine of the Trinity. Please remember that. And God has called us to correct people, to instruct people, to use the authority of the word of God, amen, to spread the truth. So it is with this understanding, it is with this understanding that we need to help pastors in different countries, uh, that we are going to give them some material uh, that they can use, they can listen to, they can translate into their languages that uh, God uh, is leading me to prepare this message. So today we begin with the doctrine of the one God. And the first part is simply, "Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one Lord." I am putting the scriptures in the text. "Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Deuteronomy? Chapter 6 and verse 4. We who are apostolic people. Who believe Jesus alone is God. We are. We claim. We believe. As the apostle Paul himself declared. In the book of Romans chapter 9. That Israel. Is our root. We are not the roots of the church. The root is Israel. We are the wild olive branch that is grafted onto Israel. We cannot change the root. The root is the original. And what does the original say? The original says, hear O Israel. Can we all say this, hear O Israel, because Israel is our root today. We can't change the root. For this reason, we say that it's strange that church fathers came between the years 280 and 480, and they came up with a doctrine called the doctrine of Trinity, which uh, the root did not know. Israel does not know what the wild olive branch brought inside, brought to the root. Amen. Amen. The root will say, excuse me, uh, I don't know about this wild olive branch doctrine. Can you please remove it? Amen. So let's go back to the root, roots, amen. Let's go back to here, O Israel, amen. It does not say here, O church. It said here, O Israel, amen. Let's be clear about this. There is something God gave to Israel. That cannot be changed. And never be changed. It is that the Lord, our God, is one Lord. The moment the church began to believe that God is more than one, they left their root. They are no longer the same church. Can you say amen? Praise God. So the first question for those who believe in a trinity is, do you consider Israel to be your root? Or have you decided to destroy your root and make the wild olive branch the root? That's the question. Have you ever seen a branch which became the root? I have never seen a branch. I'm not an agriculturist. Maybe we have some agriculturists agriculturists in this room Please let me know if you know of a branch that became the root. But I think there are two different things. So the branch, the root says, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The branch cannot say something else. Praise God. When the Lord Jesus Christ was asked about the greatest of all commandments in the Bible. Jesus repeated same man. Because Jesus himself gave this command to Israel. Hallelujah. Amen. Remember Jesus is the king of the Jews. Let's say he's also the king of the Jews. He came first to Israel. He came first to the root. Because it was him who gave this doctrine to Israel. To the root. That's why he went to Israel. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Mark chapter 12, verse 29, the Bible says, and Jesus answered him, the first of all of the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Praise Jesus. God never changes his doctrine. God cannot lie about himself. He knows that he exists as one person. He knows that it was him who gave this command. And now he is with them. With who? With the people to whom he said, hear, O Israel. And now he's telling them, see, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. He has come to you in flesh. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) See, O Israel. Uh, Did a trinity come to Israel at any time? Never. In Genesis 18, one God came with two angels. Praise God. And now when the word was made flesh. When God was manifested in the flesh, Israel saw only one God. Because this command can never be modified, changed, done away with, as the doctrine of Trinity has done. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, praise God. Never get tired of repeating it. Because each time you repeat it, the devil's tremble. How many times do I want devils to tremble? Forever, praise God. May demons tremble every time I mention this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. Praise God. Oh, it is clear from the response of the scribe that the Jews understood one to mean one single person. Because the scribe answered the Lord, and notice what he said in his answer. His answer was very carefully selected and recorded by Mark. Mark 12 and verse 32 says, And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. So what is the truth? For there is one God. That is the truth, and there is none other but He. I know I've said this many, many times again and again, but listen, brothers and sisters, has anybody ever told children, Children, the world has been learning ABC for too long? We are tired of ABC. We are going to skip over ABC and we are going to go straight into quantum physics and calculus and the theory of relativity. <laughs> no, you, you can't do that. There's always ABC. Amen. Here a little, there a little. I want to tell you, God has called us to teach salvation to people. We may talk about the deep mysteries of God, but we should never forget. God is one. This is the ABC of the Bible. Without ABC, a person will be illiterate. They can never advance into the more, uh, you know, heavier stuff so let's keep repeating this amen listen to what the scribe said the scribe said there is none other but he say with me he this is a singular personal pronoun he He. how many people can you put into he because the doctrine of trinity says that one can be many If one can be many, then nothing means what it means anymore. That means three can mean 50, two can mean 500. What is the truth? There is a truth. Amen. You know, whether you like or don't like mathematics, you know why people don't like mathematics? Because they can't argue with mathematics. <laughs> it has only one truth, one answer. People like uh, My subject, for example, social sciences. You can argue. There's no one truth. Says who? There's another way to build society. Identity. That can mean many things. Sure. Let me tell you. In mathematics, one means one. There's no room for argument. There's no room for discussion. That's why people don't like, some of the people don't like mathematics. Because mathematics is always waiting for you to give the correct answer. You can do whatever you want. Use a a notebook, a side, and, you know, know, rough book, whatever you want to call it. Make your calculations here and there. Use a calculator. But mathematics is waiting patiently. And finally, when you write, it says wrong or correct. So this is the mathematical, number one mathematical truth of the universe. God is one. This is not even a moral discussion. It's not good or bad. It's a fact, amen. Can we argue with the fact that one is one? It's one. It's not about good or bad. (laughs) It's just, it's a fact. It's one. Does one want to learn mathematics? or no, that's the question. Five fives are 25. It can never be 25 and a half or 25 and a quarter. You can kill the whole world. Five into five is still 25. In the same way, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a mathematical declaration. It's the first law of the universe. Praise God. It is the first and the highest truth in the universe. Fight it, bang your head against it, murder, force people to reject it. It is still standing there. Praise God. And when finally, A person dies having fought against it and comes to heaven. He sees one God sitting on the throne. Hallelujah. There's no one, nothing which can defeat this. The devil can lie for millions of years, but even he knows when he goes before the throne of God, he sees this truth that he knows he's fighting a losing battle against. He just wants to take as many people to hell as possible. But each time he can see that God is one. That's why Jesus said he's a father of lies. Because he sees that God is one. And still he's lying about the fact that God is one. Oh, hallelujah. Can we praise the God who is one? Can we magnify him because he's one? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Though the devil has spent millions of years preaching against this fact. He still cannot destroy this truth. He still cannot eradicate this truth from off the face of the earth. God is one. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O people of God. Hear, people who fear God. Hear pastors all over the world. Hear ministers. Hallelujah. Hear children. Amen. Hear demons in hell. Hear saints in heaven. Praise God. Hear animals. Praise God in the field. And hear creatures in the seas. The Lord, your God, he is one. Praise God. This is the most elevated of all truths. The most preeminent of all truths. Amen. Hallelujah. We will never compromise this truth. We will fight for this truth in Jesus' name. Praise God. Be it to your children. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, God came in flesh. He confirmed that this is the greatest of all doctrines. When he was asked, what is the greatest command? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When they brought a coin to him and said, shall we pay taxes to Caesar? He didn't answer them properly. But when they asked him about this command, he did not hesitate. He very quickly said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Praise God. Amen. He knows this truth. He is this truth. He is the one God. Amen. Praise God. What the above means that we have been talking about so far is that there is no room whatsoever for a so-called doctrine of the so-called holy trinity. What is the doctrine of the trinity? Well, in its most basic form, this doctrine states that one, God is three persons, two, each person is fully God and three, somehow there is still one God. Now, I didn't give you my own definition. I will up some of the most scholarly sources. A man called Wayne Grudem. He is professor of theology. He is a believing Trinitarian. He has written many, many books about this topic. He is one of the most eminent scholars. And he said the Trinity means God is three persons, one, each person is fully God, two, and somehow, strangely, there is one God. So let's look at it for a moment. So he when he asked, What do you mean God is three persons? Let me now give you the definition of that when Gudim himself has uh, furnished. And I'm putting all this in the text, but of course, those hearing the audio version will not be able to see the text. But may I also simultaneously mention that all of this has been written down. And once I finish the Bible study, we will be putting it up on our website and perhaps under a new button that Sister Hamanot will make about the doctrine. Uh, of salvation so this is a quote from Wayne Grudem himself he says the fact that God is three persons means that the father is not the son here here what he's saying they are distinct persons it also means that the father is not the Holy Spirit but that they are distinct persons and it means that the son is not the holy spirit these are not my words this is from the one of the most uh, respected sources in the doctrine of the trinity wayne grudem so, let's first begin by saying that it is very important to understand that when trinitarians like wayne grudem say distinct the word means separate it has no other meaning please get that straight the cambridge dictionary for example it gives us this definition i just looked up google uh cambridge dictionary and it says here look at the meaning from the the word distinct means clearly separate and different from something else so Uh, You know, I I love the truth. I love people to be plain speaking when you're looking for God. You you don't want people to uh, speak in riddles. You don't want people to try to, uh, you know, hide things and uh, be uh, uh, ambivalent. Obfuscate things. That means try, try not to make it clear. Look, we are looking to know God. Why are you... Hiding God under some mystery, some fog of which which is is uh, basically unclear. Why? A good preacher, a good minister of God, a good witness, will try to make God as clear as possible to everyone. So I, I get frustrated, I um, I ask for your forgiveness, but why don't they use simple, clear language? Why say they are distinct when you want to say they are separate? Why? The word distinct is not in the Bible. So why do you use it? That's the question we ask anyone who believes in the Trinity. So, if the Father is not the Son. Then God cannot be one. Amen. That's as plain as day. If the Father is not the Son... How can you say in your third point that God is one? No. If the father is not the son and the son is not the Holy Ghost, you don't believe in one God. For this reason, brothers and sisters, we declare we don't have a choice because anything which challenges this doctrine that God is one is wrong. We shouldn't be afraid to say that. We have to love the people who believe in it, but we have to be very clear in telling them, listen, what you are saying about God is a lie. Because there is no greater command. It is a fact. It is a truth. It's a mathematical fact that God is one. Have you ever seen a Trinity? No. And please do not blaspheme against God. Do not bring the anger of God upon you. Do not believe in something which God hates. Do not believe in something that God himself is unaware of. That God himself does not acknowledge because it doesn't exist. God himself tells us in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 44 and verse 8, Makes it plain and says that he does not know any other God beside him. Isaiah 44 verse 8 says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Is there something God does not know? Yes. He does not know any other God. Now God is omniscient. He knows everything. But there is one thing he doesn't know. He doesn't know any other God. He only knows that he is God. He only knows that he is one. He doesn't know that he is three. Or he exists as three persons. This is something some philosophers knew. But God does, denies knowledge of this. There is no god beside him he doesn't know for this reason we beg any christian who's going around in ignorance you remember this uh, king of gerard and even the pharaoh they told god they said we did this in our ignorance we took the wife of abraham Uh, uh, to us because we he told us that she is his sister we did this in ignorance god said i know let me say those who believe in a trinity out of ignorance god will help you and if you are listening to this message or if you're reading about this doctrine somewhere on our website or somewhere you cannot claim ignorance anymore you have to forsake this doctrine it's not in the bible it is an affront to God. It's an insult to God when he's alone to say, no, we know, we believe there are two others with you. God have mercy. Amen. You should repent of this. You should go on your knees and say, forgive me, Lord. I did this in my ignorance to, 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 to bless a trinity and to glorify three separate gods. Forgive me for making you separate from the Father The son from the father and the father from the Holy Spirit. I did this in my ignorance and God will bless you. In Jesus' name, praise God. So, let's remember again what the scribe said to Jesus. He said there is one God and none other but he. Can we say God is he? God is being called he. Amen. If the personal pronoun he has any meaning then it ought to mean that God is one. That he is an indivisible individual. And we say indivisible. That means you cannot divide him. You cannot divide him. Can I divide you and you still be you? Even a person who believes that there are more than one, we call them schizophrenic, isn't it? The doctrine of the Trinity, and I don't mean to make fun, uh, by the way, I'm saying it is a schizophrenic doctrine. We call it multi-personality. It really is an insult to the nature, the deity, the identity, the Godhead of God. Let's say what God says about himself. That he's one. So the Bible clearly establishes that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all one and the same person. Praise God? 700 years before the Lord was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let me tell you that we, one God believers, we take these scriptures for granted. But when you travel and you share these scriptures, you realize they are novel. They are new for many people. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Uh, The mighty God, uh, the everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Amen. The Bible says God will give us a son. And this son, his name will be called the everlasting Father. Clearly, this contradicts the teaching of the Trinity. And people like Wayne Grudem. Because they are saying, God, the Father, is not the Son. But Isaiah is saying, the Son is the everlasting Father. I think I would rather believe in Isaiah than to believe in Wayne Grudem with all due respect. I would rather believe in Isaiah than to believe in a doctrine that is not even mentioned in the Bible. You will never find the word Trinity in the Bible. It does not exist. God warns us not to add to his word. It's very dangerous. He said, I will add to you the sufferings, that the, the punishments recorded in the book of Revelation. Should we not fear God? Don't add to his word. Amen, praise God. But let us proclaim, let us propagate, let us elevate, let us glorify what is declared in the word of God. Praise Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. So the child is called the everlasting God. You know, the Bible always provides several confirmations of vital doctrines. When the apostles suspected the Lord Jesus was claiming to be identical with the Father himself, Philip requested to see the Father, because he did not think that the Lord Jesus was the Father. But the response of our Lord Jesus disproves the teaching of the doctrine of divinity. Because listen to what Jesus responded Philip, Jesus said in the gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou, then show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Please note, Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. But the doctrine of the Trinity is saying, the Father is not the Son. Would you rather believe John, who was with Jesus and heard what Jesus said, Or would we rather believe in Trinitarian philosophers who were not there, did not hear what Jesus said, and relied on their own speculative philosophy to write whatever they wanted? No, no, no. I fear God. I want to hear from the witnesses who were with Jesus. Jesus trusted them. That's why he commissioned them to write the gospel. Jesus didn't write anything. But Jesus did not commission Greek philosophers to write about him. He did not commission Wayne Grunem to write about him. Amen. And even when we write about him, we rely on the apostles. We are not writing independently of the opinion and the declarations of the apostles. That's why we still call ourselves apostolic. Amen. Let's continue. So the next one. The subheading is the one God was manifested in the flesh. Praise God. One God was manifested in the flesh. So now God who is one and cannot be divided was manifested in the flesh. How do we know this? Because it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16 and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Praise God. In other words, when the apostles saw the Lord Jesus, they were looking at the outward physical manifestation of the one God. This one God had no visible form prior to this. He was only spirit. Amen. But now this one God who was invisible is made visible. Amen. His name is Jesus. This is the mystery of God. The mystery of God is not the Trinity. The mystery of God, according to Paul, is that he said, God, great is the mystery of Godliness. What is this mystery of God? He didn't say God exists as three persons. This is the mystery of Godliness. No, the mystery of Godliness is this one God. He said, God, can you say with me, God? He didn't say God in three persons. They don't know this language. The Trinity was not even developed. The name Trinity did not even Appear before the year 210 AD. There was a, a church father, so called church father from North Africa called Tertullian, who first came up with the word Trinitas. That is almost 150 years, 60 years after the apostle Paul wrote these words. Paul doesn't know about the Trinity. Paul only knows God is one. He said, God, which God? Paul will tell you, here O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This one God, Jehovah. He was manifesting the flesh. Praise God. Isn't that simple to understand? A child can understand. This is the mystery of godliness. There is no other mystery of godliness. Oh. The apostle Paul continues. He tells the Colossian church. He says. In him. For in him. And we say in him. Him. Say him. Where is God? Say in him. In who? In Jesus. In him dwelleth all. Can you say all? In other words, whatever is God. Whatever is God. All is in Jesus Christ. In him dwelleth. Where is the throne of God? Say in Jesus. Praise God? Where is the glory of God? The Shekinah glory of God. In Jesus. That's why Jesus took them up to the high mountain. Why? He wants to show them that in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Praise Jesus. In him. We say in him. Put differently. All that is God is found in Jesus. There is no God outside of Jesus. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Are titles of the same God. Whose name is Jesus. Anyone looking for God. Will find God dwelling permanently. In the body of Jesus. Hallelujah. I should make it clear. Praise God. You looking for God. You will never find him except in Jesus. Praise God. Go to Jesus. Save time. Hallelujah. Can I be introduced to God? Yes. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Can I shake hands with God? Yes. Shake hands with Jesus. Can I worship God? Yes. Fall down at the name of Jesus and worship him. Praise God. This explains why the voice that came from heaven instructed the apostles to pay attention to the body of Jesus. Praise God. In Matthew 17 and verse 5, a voice came from heaven. People are very concerned about the voice. Who is this? I think that is not the most important question. The most important question is to listen and obey the voice. Are you with me? And what is the voice saying? While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said this. Is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hmm. Hallelujah. It it doesn't make sense to say. Excuse me. uh, The voice that we heard. Excuse me. me, The voice. Can we talk with you please. Just a moment. Who are you by the way. Can you introduce yourself. The voice will still repeat the same thing. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God does not want and will not talk to people outside of his body. Praise Jesus. Do we want to please God? The Bible said it pleased God. That in him should dwell the fullness of the guarded bodily, Colossians 20. But it did not please the Trinitarians. When they heard this, they said, no, we don't want to hear the Son. We want to... Uh, talk about you also. We want to honor you also. We want to make another tabernacle and we want to make another altar. We want to make another temple for you. So when you study the books written by Trinitarians, they will spend a lot of time on God the Father. Then they will spend a lot of time on God the Son. And they will spend a lot of time on God the Holy Ghost. With with a lot of speculation. I have a book where the, the scholar, the Trinitarian scholar writes it's difficult to talk about the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost does not like attention. As, as if the Father and the Son like attention. It, it's shocking. He said the Holy Ghost likes to just promote Jesus. He, doesn't, he likes to be in the background. He's very humble. You see, this is the problem. They're not listening to the voice. What is the voice saying? Listen to him. Praise God. God is not outside of his body. He is inside of his body. Amen. We cannot glorify him. By talking about. Someone outside of him. So. While this. Doctrine of the Trinity is confusing. Please bear with me. Because trust me. When we are now talking about reaching the world. If God. And I believe God has called us. Among other things. To touch nations, to bring them back to the revelation of who God is. Wouldn't it be wonderful before Jesus returns that just as before Jesus appeared in flesh, the book of Malachi prophesied that God will raise up an Elijah, that is John the Baptist, and he will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Could we be the John the Baptist of our times, whose job it is amongst others to bring people back to the teaching of the apostles in Jesus' name from all over the world, before Jesus returns, that they will understand Jesus is the one through God. There is no other God except Jesus. That would be a very blessed job for us to say amen to. And I think this is what God is doing. And one way to do it is to, is to help them to see what they are believing in. A person cannot uh, uh, get rid of what they're believing in unless they see it and understand that it's wrong. So if we don't understand the Trinity, then we can't help them. So let's try a little bit more to, sorry to make it a bit confusing. I'll try to make it as simple as possible uh, so that we can see the difference clearly and we can help others. But let me help you to understand for example, the Trinitarian understanding of God the Son. This, this is a very important teaching for them. Uh, let's begin with a quote from another prominent, uh, very famous uh, scholar among Trinitarians. If you study theology at the university, you will come across his books. His name is Louis Burkhoff. He passed away a long time ago, but his books are still being reprinted. And uh, it's called systematic theology. Uh, So this is what he said about the Son of God, whom they call God the Son. In the Bible, there is no God the Son. But listen to what he said, and I'm reading it now. Berkhoff states, it is that eternal and necessary act of the first person in the Trinity, whereby he, within the divine being, is the ground of a second person's subsistence like his own and puts this second person in possession of the whole divine essence without any division, alienation, or change. Now, when you first read it, you say, What? What it looks sounds like English, but it's this English. Makes no sense. Because it really makes no sense. Simple English. Louis Burcov is saying that the father gave birth to the son. And gave the son the same Godhead and characteristics as the father himself possessed. In other words, when you heard what I just said, what he really is saying is God the Father basically brought another God into existence called God the Son. Yeah, he gave birth to him and he gave him a Godhead to be independent. At the same time, separate from him, but equal to him. Same substance, co-equal. So, Birkhoff is essentially saying that the father gave birth to another God who was identical and yet separate from the father. (laughs) Now, this is a problem. You know, let me put it another way. When you ask the Trinitarians, you say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are three persons. Yeah, right. They're equal, yeah? Yeah, okay. So, uh, if the sun, how did the sun, how did the existence of the sun begin? Instead of telling you that there was a day, there was a time that the flesh was born, therefore, the sun cannot be eternal. Are you with me? We don't believe in a flesh which is eternal. The Bible says in John 14, the word was made flesh. That means there was a time there was no flesh. And we say amen? If the word was made flesh, it cannot be flesh before. You cannot say, and the flesh was made flesh. Excuse me. But this is what Trinitarians believe because they want to make the three equal from eternity. So when you say, but what about the son? You call him son. He had to be born. They say, yeah, uh, that's a problem. Wait, let's think about this. So they gave the job to a guy called Oregon. Another church father from North Africa. Let me tell you, there's a lot of uh, church fathers from North Africa. Uh, This Oregon, he came up with a brilliant solution. He said, you know what? Let's say that the son was begotten by the father. The father gave birth. But we cannot know when it happened. There was no time when it happened. Excuse me. Uh, you know, even a woman gives birth at some point. Eh? She can be in labor for many hours, but at some point she gives birth. Say, so, no, with the father, if we say he gave birth on such and such a date, that means the son will not be equal with the father. Because there will be a time when he was not there. So let's come up with this interesting doctrine, which nobody will understand. Uh, it will be a mystery. I mean, that's what I'm saying, because really it is. It's called the doctrine of the eternal generation of the son. How about that? That means the son was being given birth to by the father in a process which never really started and never finished. What? Have you ever heard of a child that was being born, the mother was in labor? When did the labor begin? It began from eternity. My goodness, poor mother. When did it finish? It never finished. This is what the nonsense, I'm sorry to speak this way, I try to avoid it, but come on, this is nonsense. We have to show people what they're believing. So the Trinity runs into a serious problem when it comes to Trinitarian's explanations for their belief in the existence of an eternal son, who was at the same time begotten of the Father. How are you eternal and begotten? Can, does everybody here have a birthday? I hope nobody will come and tell me. I'm joking. Uh, you know, I was born, but nobody, the process was such that uh, it never began. It never finished. What kind of birthday is that? What kind of a human being would we be? But this is the strange doctrine that in Trinity believes in. They actually believe God the Son existed before like a fully grown human being. So it's okay. So how did he go and how did he become a baby in Bethlehem? And that's when they run into problems. You see, uh, somehow he became a baby again. This contraction, expansion, Jesus. No, this is confusion. The Bible tells us there was a day that the Father gave birth to the Son. Amen. It's clear in the Bible. Psalm chapter 2. Verse seven, Galatians four, verse four. Praise God. Let me put in the text and read it here. Sorry to give you some heavy uh, theology today, but we have to teach this for the sake of many people all over the world, ministers and others, truth seekers. Psalm two, seven says, "I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day." Can somebody say, "This day," which day? <laughs> In Bethlehem, ask Mary. Mary, was Jesus being born in a process that never began and never finished? Uh, I think Mary would say, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you repeat that again? Amen. She had a normal nine-month gestation period like any other one. Maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a little bit later, but within that time frame. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, born made under the law. Hallelujah. This word made in, in Greek is ginomai, which means come out of. And that is a fact. He came out of a woman. But his origin is from everlasting. Micah 5 verse 2. From of old, from everlasting. Praise God. So, let's be clear about that. flesh. The day it began, the word was made flesh. So, what was it before it was made flesh? Let's all say it loud and clear it was the word, because the word was made flesh. Amen. So, there was a time God had no flesh, He was only spirit. Humans interacted with God through His spirit and word. In the Old Testament, how did people know God? They felt His spirit. Amen. And the word of God came to them. Praise God. King David said. Take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. The spirit of God. Would blow upon people. Hallelujah. And the word of God. Would come to the prophet. And speak to them. But only in Jesus. Did God manifest himself. In flesh and was known. To his apostles among others. As God. In a body. The apostle John for instance. Was in awe. Of this manifestation. Of God in the flesh. John was overwhelmed. He couldn't stop, stop speaking about this. John says. Let's look at two scriptures. Which are very powerful. First John chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. First John chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning. he said. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled. Of the word of life. For the life was manifested. And we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you. That eternal life. Which was with the father. And was manifested unto us. Hallelujah. So God had life, has life in it. That life is eternal. It is also called the Word of God because the Word of God has its own life. It, the Word of God creates. And John says that life, that Word now became visible to us. We saw Him. We could touch Him. You see, He's speaking about the same God. Who is the God that He can touch now, that He can see now? It's the same one who was eternal, who was invisible. Praise God. Amen. Let us be in awe of this truth. Let us proclaim and propagate this truth because it brings life. It saves people. But to talk about what the so-called church fathers and Louis Burkhoff and Wayne Grudem were teaching has no life. It's confusion. It must be repeated again. The flesh of God had a beginning. But that does not mean it was created. The Bible says that the flesh of God was begotten. That's the correct word. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, verse 16. When we say the name Jesus, we are referring to the one God who is spirit, word, and flesh, all in one today, in one body. Praise God. God, spirit, word, and flesh are inseparable. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I and my father are one. John chapter 10, verse 13. This is the correct way to understand it. The Trinitarians understand it differently. They will tell you, I and the father are one, means that they are distinct, separate, but somehow they are one because they have the same essence. When you ask them what is essence again, they will tell you. they don't want to use the word substance. They don't want, they will say hypostasis. And then when you try to check what hypostasis is, it's a strange Greek word for which they will tell you there's no equivalent English word. This is all confusion, brothers and sisters. It's as if they don't want you to understand what they're saying because it is not in the Bible. It's a false doctrine. So let's be careful. I say this with all due respect, but you cannot follow Jesus and say, I believe in Jesus and believe in the doctrine of Trinity. The two are incompatible. The one Seeks to destroy the identity of Jesus. And the other. The one God doctrine. Seems to. Up, Uphel. Oppose. And glorifies the truth. That Jesus is the one true God. You ask yourself. Which one glorifies Jesus more? The one which makes Jesus one of three persons. Who are co-equal. Or the one which says. Jesus. Alone is God. Jesus is the father. Amen. Jesus said, I am alpha and omega. Is that not enough? He's alpha and omega. And the God of Isaiah 44 verse 8 says, I don't know any God beside me. He's saying he's the first and the last. And Jesus is claiming the same thing. We have to decide. We cannot have to First and the last. The doctrine of Trinity actually says there are three almighties. Imagine, three almighty. God the Father is almighty. God the Son is almighty. God the Holy Ghost. Excuse me, what does the word almighty mean? That means you have all power. Can, can you imagine one three kings saying, I am the one with all power. And the other guy says, I am the one with all power. And the third one says, I am the one with all power. Well, if all three of you have all power, then the reality is you have one third power, you have one third power, and you have one third power. That's the reality. Don't say you have all power. But Jesus said all power. Say all power. That means there is nothing left for anyone else. All power. If there is a trinity, if there is a trinity, that means the other two don't have power. Only Jesus has all power. So how do you say they're co-equal? Jesus said it. All power. Hallelujah. Belongs to him. He said he's Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega means the one with complete power. That means everything between A and Z belongs to him. Praise God. So anybody else coming and saying, I also am Almighty We will look at you and say, excuse me, you you actually have no power because all power belongs to Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Even when the devil is exercising power, the devil knows that Jesus gave him that power. And one day Jesus will take away all power from Satan. And he will put him into a bottomless pit where he has no power. The only power he will have is to keep falling down and falling down and falling down. For 1,000 years, he will be falling down. That is the only power Jesus will give him. Hallelujah. Now, that's a wonderful future for the devil. Let's see where where, where that power will go. Praise God. We have no power except Jesus gives us that power. All power belongs to Jesus. Jesus told Pilate, you have no power against me unless it was given to you. No power. Pilate became afraid. Praise Jesus. Every morning I wake up, I tell Jesus, you gave me power to wake up. You gave me power to think. You gave me power to go and eat. You gave me power, Jesus, to do whatever I have to do today. Amen. Let's respect this power of Jesus. All power belongs only to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Praise the name of Jesus. The only God That, that is praise God. So the apostle John emphasizes the greatest of all revelations. When he says in 1 John 5, verse 20 and 21, notice what John says, first John five, twenty and twenty-one. We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Who is the true God? The son of God is the true God. If he's the true God, there is no other true God. He didn't say he's a true God. That would be the indefinite article. That means, uh, there are many others. No, the is a definite article. This is the king. This is the God, hallelujah. There is no other, praise Jesus, amen. The son of God is the true God. There is no other. I mean, don't look for any other. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Little children, he said in verse 21, keep yourself from idols. Please notice what he wrote. If we do not believe the son of God is the only God, we become idol worshipers. God have mercy. I hope now it's becoming clear how serious this is. Why do you think he writes that at the end? Little children. Keep yourself from idols. Don't make idols. Don't multiply gods. John just told us that the only God there is, is the son of God. Keep yourself from idols in Jesus' name. Ah, hallelujah. If you make another God, God together with the son of God, you are into idolatry. Jesus delivers from idolatry. We will keep ourselves from idols in Jesus' name. We will not believe in in idols called the Trinity. I believe in one God. His name is Jesus. The true God is the Son of God. Hallelujah. The Son of God. Because in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. The God... Who is in a body in flesh, who is his own son. He is the true God. There is no other God beside him. He knows not any. Amen. He's the Alpha and Omega. Praise Jesus. Jesus bless you. Let me summarize this teaching for today, and we will pray at the end. Let Jesus use it to challenge people who hold on to the doctrine of the Trinity because they do not really understand where it came from. They don't understand that this is Greek philosophy. It has no place in the Bible. The time is limited. I could have written a whole book about this topic, but uh, I have their, their books. Serious, systematic theology books. Five, 600 pages. 700 page books. I can tell you what they believe in. And that's why it has to be challenged. It's wrong. It's idolatry. May God help us to be delivered from this. One God, church. Jesus alone is God, church. Let us not be ashamed. Uh, The guy who called me yesterday said, your church name is very long. Jesus alone is God. I said, Amen. Hallelujah. Say that again. In Jesus' name, it will save you. Say, Jesus alone is God. You know, when people mention the name of our church, they're being forced to declare the highest revelation in the world. Jesus alone is God. The devil will get mad. Don't, Don't say the name of this church. The name of our church that we selected is the doctrine of salvation. Jesus alone is God, church. Praise God. In summary, the doctrine of biblical salvation declares that God is one. This one God cannot be conceived of as existing as three separate persons. God now exists as one person. The Father's word was made flesh, and he now dwells in his own body. The name of God since this event is Jesus. Those who wish to please God cannot believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Even authoritative Trinitarian sources admit that the Trinity is not in the Bible. In fact, I want to give you some quotations. Uh, one of them, the first one here, is from what is called the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Listen to what it says here. Uh, the term Trinity is not a biblical term. Imagine, this is a uh, encyclopedia that under the heading Trinity begins, they they believe in Trinity, See, they're going to defend it, but this is how they begin. They said the term Trinity is not a biblical term. <laughs> and we are not using biblical language when we define what is expressed by it as a doctrine that there is only one and true God. You see? So if you believe in one and only true God, why are you using a term that is not in the Bible? That's the question for them to answer. Speaking about formulation of the doctrine of Trinity at Council of Constantinople in AD 381. Please keep in mind, the official final uh, format or formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity did not come about, did not exist until the year 381 AD. That's a long time after the apostles uh, passed away. So one, well, another professor of theology Called Roger Olson from the University of Minnesota. This is what he says about the doctrine of Trinity. And just applications, I put all of this in the study. So this study can challenge uh, educated people. Uh, listen to what he says Roger Olson, professor of theology. What does it all mean? Can the seemingly abstruse, abstruse means something which is confusing, not clear, and speculative they're speculating, they're guessing doctrine of the Trinity as it developed throughout the fourth century. Listen, the doctrine of the Trinity was being developed in the fourth century. It's important to stop lying. There is no greater scholars than these people and they are telling the truth. They said this doctrine, which developed throughout the fourth century and as it was declared at the Council of Constantinople, they said, can this doctrine be made somewhat intelligible? for ordinary people who are not scholars? <laughs> this is a rhetorical question. The answer is already clear. No, it's not an intelligible doctrine. People cannot understand this. This is what an expert is saying. Who, who is going to understand this doctrine? Can it be made intelligible? Absolutely not. How can you make intelligible the fact the sun does not have a birthday he was being begotten in a process which never started and never finished. Well, what, how do you make that intelligible? It's not intelligent. Let's continue. Finally, Burkhov himself, the guru of the Trinity doctrine, whom many others quote, is like the guru of the doctrine of Trinity. This is what he himself wrote. This is a citation. I've put the book. you can look it up. It says the church. Confesses the Trinity to be a mystery beyond the comprehension of man. Oh my goodness. Had you told us in the beginning, I would not have read 5,000 pages and come to the conclusion I don't understand 5,000 pages. You see, they make you read all of this and then they tell you, we confess that this is a mystery that nobody can understand. He says, man cannot comprehend it and make it intelligible. Maybe women can. I am joking. But you see, it's amazing. Suddenly, here and there, in reading their 700-page books, you spend 699 pages trying to explain this, and then you make, leave one sentence saying, we confess we cannot explain this. Oh, my goodness. So, God have mercy. Let me say this. We, one-God believers, we argue, based on the statements of the Trinitarians themselves, that the Trinity is unintelligible because it is unbiblical. Can we say amen? Um, it's unbiblical. God has issued a warning in the Bible. In the Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, God himself warns us. He says, and I put it here in the text. We can read it together. The word of God is pure. Can we say amen? We don't need anybody to try to uh, invent new words or say something which is not in the Bible. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Brothers, sisters, I beg you. Never, never reach a place where you think or I think we can... Explain the word of God better than the Apostle John or better than the Apostle Paul. I advise you, use the words of the Apostle Paul. Use the words of Peter. Don't try to find an alternative word or try to find a better word. The spirit of Jesus wrote through them, gave them the words. We can never make it better. Don't add. Don't try to change it. God will bless you when you say, thus saith the Lord. It is written, praise God. Because if you make another word or change something, then the person will be converted to human philosophy, to an alternative that we came up with, with our own mind. There is no salvation in human words. There is only salvation in the word of God. Use the language of God. Use the word of God. We can never make it better. It's sin to think we can find alternative words. This is the mistake the Trinitarians made. And they made the world suffer till today in Jesus name. God delivers from that. Amen. The Apostle Paul declared confidently he had a revelation of the mystery of faith. He did not say that what he had was unintelligible. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says and we will conclude with this and we will pray over this in Jesus' name. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Ah, you claim to have mystery, knowledge of the mystery of Christ. yes. Is it intelligible? Can we understand it? (laughs) Listen to what he says. Which in other ages. Was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now. Revealed unto his holy apostles. And prophets by the spirit. Do you know who received the first revelation. Of who Jesus is? The holy apostles. That's why we say we are apostolic. Amen. If we say we're apostolic, let's preach what the apostles said. The apostles never said that they cannot explain the mystery of God. The apostle Paul said he knows it. And now it is revealed to the sons of men. That means to everybody. But what are the Trinitarians saying? They're saying it cannot be understood. You know why? Because you are not apostles, my friends. You are scholars who are trained in Harvard and trained in uh, um, you know, Cambridge and King's College, <laughs> well, that, that's my universe. I went once to listen to theologians, famous theologians, my own supervisor, second supervisor. His name is Alistair Macbeth. You can Google him. He is one of the world's most famous uh, uh, theologians, by the way. Studied under, you could say, Gamalian, uh, One of the world's most famous living uh, theologians. He was uh, head of Department of Theology in Oxford for 15 years. Oxford University, Alasker-McGrath. Google him. Uh, He was my second supervisor. I have a reference from him. Now, he himself, I went to hear him and other theologians speaking many times. One day I asked him about the Trinity. He told me it's true. It's not in the Bible. He's a very humble man. He's very, I never used to see him, by the way. He was always on TV. He's always, uh, you know, big, big projects. World famous theologian. If you, if you study religion or theology at any university, you'll come across his books. He's written most books on theology. He humbly told me, Paul, the doctrine of the Trinity is not in the Bible. He's also an Anglican priest. Imagine in, in the Church of England. Very famous man. He's on TV, He debated Richard Dawkins. Uh, uh, maybe Sister Minot can find one link where he's debating Dawkins. He's the number one. Uh, defender, against, uh, uh, the, against atheism. And he's a Trinitarian. But he told me plainly, there is no doctrine of Trinity. You will not find it in the Bible. So when the greatest theologians of this world, very humble man, very respectable man, himself makes such a statement, it's clear that we... These people have decided to follow human philosophy. Thank you, Sister. You can click there. As soon as you click, what do you find? A big debate, world-famous debates between Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is the world's number one biologist alive today. He's a very famous biologist, uh, award-winning. He's written one of the most damaging books against uh, Christianity and belief in God. This book is called The God Delusion. It has been translated into so many languages. Uh, He's become a famous guy who loves to destroy belief in God. And uh, Alistair McGrath decided to challenge him in that debate. You can see that debate. Alistair McGrath was my supervisor at King's College London when I was doing my PhD. I'm telling you, I've looked very carefully at this topic of Trinity. From the best people in the world, there is no Trinity. It is an addition to the word of God. We need to fear God more than to fear men. We need to run away from this doctrine. So I'm speaking to people all over the world who may come across this message when it's uploaded. I challenge you in Jesus' name. Study the Bible. Pray on your knees to Jesus. This is not a side issue. This is a matter of eternal life or death. Jesus said, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. Amen. John 8, 24. We need to understand if we do not believe that Jesus is the only God, that he is the I am, we will die in our sins, Jesus said. It's not a matter of, uh, sorry, in John 1824. 24. I therefore said unto you that unless you believe that, if you believe not that I'm he, you shall die in your sin. This word I am, ask any Jew. They will tell you, ask any rabbi. I am is the title of Jehovah, the one God. If we don't believe Jesus is the I am, the only God, we will die in our sins. We don't want to die in our sins. We want to live eternally through the knowledge that Jesus is the only God.